me in Hebrews, a book of the Bible close to the back. If you're using the Bible that's in the pew or chair, it's on page 1003. We'll begin reading with verse 12. 12 and 13 basically close off a former section and then usher us into the next section. So 12 and 13, kind of a pivot uh, pair of verses. Uh, But then we're going to take in the beginning of the next section with verses 14 through 16. So chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God... Is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of solens, of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, show us mercy as we come to your word. Give yourself to us, Lord. Reveal yourself and further us down the road in faith and obedience. For your glory, we pray. Amen. I'm always amazed when Kay, in one hand, dries her hair with the dryer and in the other hand puts on her makeup. I would either poke my eye out or I would drop the dryer and kill myself, electrocute myself, one or the other. This morning, I I want to have you hold something as you hold something else, okay? As I mentioned, verses 12 and 13 being this pivot passage, our first point is going to be open your life to God and his word, which basically takes in verses 12 and 13. And then the next three verses will have three points, one per verse. So as you open your life to God and his word, then uh, hold fast your confession, rejoice in his sympathy, and draw near to the throne of grace. Okay. So this helps show how it moves us into the next section. Under the umbrella of opening our lives to God and his word, then let's... Uh, hold fast our confession, rejoice in his sympathy, and draw near to the throne of grace. So first, open your life to God and his word. And why should we do this? It's because it's living and active, as he says here in verse 12. It's bristling with life. It is, and it's bristling with thorough, effective action in our lives. 
the Navy has a deep sea vessel called, uh, called Alvin, and they say it's able to search 98% of the ocean floor. Well, God's word searches out 100% of the human heart, we're told here. Plunging into the deepest parts of our lives, searching the most hidden aspects of our personality. It illuminates our inner reality. It brings us face to face with who we really are with blunt and inescapable force. It discovers our unbelief and our fear and our pride. It discovers our self-righteousness and our self-dependence and our self-focus. It discovers our emptiness, our false ways of coping. It discovers the way, ways I don't rest in him, the ways I keep myself from his care. Its solid promises crash into my pathetic idols, the idols of my heart. Kim McCarty has talked about the way leukemia cells bed down in the nooks and crannies of a person's bone marrow and how repeated chemo treatments are given to search out and destroy those hidden cancer cells. God's word finds the leukemia of sin in your life. It hunts sin down in the hidden places of your heart. And the relationship of verses 12 and 13 is interesting because he goes from talking about the exposure of the word to being open before God, bared and naked before God. And it shows that God is the God of this word and that that exposure of the word is exposure to God himself. As we are open and laid bare before God. Before God, there's no hiding. There's no faking. There's no excuse before this God. Judgment day honesty begins right now. If we're awake. Because we must give an account to this God who knows us so thoroughly. And this is so important to us because sin's strength is its secrecy. That's how it best does its work. It deceives. It creates a false reality. And as it gets hold of your heart, it justifies its own existence. It proves to you why it is necessary, this sin, or even why it is good. And all the while, sin deepens its roots. It chokes off God's promises. It separates you from real relationship. It shuts down your admiration for God. It pushes you down deeper and deeper into darkness. And so confrontation with the word of this all-seeing God is the first step of freedom. That's why it is so important to constantly expose yourself to this word. And isn't it comforting that though God knows the depths of what we are better than we do, He still gave his son for us 
And he still freely offers him to us, even though he knows us so well. You see, no one is even close to God in knowing you, but no one is close to God in wanting you. (laughs) There is one safe place. That's to be in relationship to this God who knows you and wants you. And, of course, the word doesn't just discover what is in you. It transforms you. Second Timothy 3, Paul says the word equips us for every good work. It means it equips you to give yourself away freely for the good of others. And so the word locates our scattered spiritual diseases and begins to heal them. It identifies the toxic waste areas of our lives and begins to clean them up. It uncovers the rotten subflooring and begins reconstruction. The word plants the best things in the deepest part of your life. And so... Let this word get at you. Give yourself to this word. Let it minister its grace and life to you. I love how trees open up every branch. They they get every leaf exposed to the sun. That's why the lower leaves have to go out further than the top leaves. To get out there and get under that sun. Be like that with the word of God. Receive its light, its life. Give yourself to this word. Give absolute priority to hear this word taught and discussed and to give yourself to private reading and meditation. And all the more because as a part of or in its context, it's interesting how he says, strive to enter the rest, verse 11, For the word of God is living and active. What's the connection? Strive to enter because the word is living and active. It means that this word cannot be ignored. It performs its work. You can't safely walk away from this word. You can refuse it or even deny it, but you can't escape it because it's living. It's active. It performs what it says. It will save you if you believe it, but it will judge you if you refuse it. This isn't just a casual word. It's not just an anemic word. It performs. It's living and active. And Jesus says in John 12, verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. This is a word that you must deal with because it will deal with you. Either to save you Or to judge you. So, as you open your life to God and his word. Then, verse 14. Hold fast your confession. After all, your high priest, as he says here, 
is none other than the Son of God. And he underscores this to to heighten our sense of if anyone has access to the Father, surely it is the Son of God. It says he has passed. It's a, the tense in the Greek means this access is a continuing reality. There, this access is established. He has won entrance as the Son. His death and resurrection remove all of our sins and grant us full favor in the presence of God. And we are united with this Son. We are in heaven with Him. And the exhortation is, don't abandon that favor which was won at such a cost. Hold fast your confession. Hold fast what you have in Christ Jesus. How else could any human being gain entrance into the presence of God except through this Son of God who has died for sinners? And if you, if you release your confession to Him, you're trading in the Son of God for some other means of entering in the presence of God? You're going to trust in your own works instead of his. You're going to trust in some other means of atoning for your sin rather than his atonement. Hold fast your confession. To turn away from Christ, for instance, to avoid persecution or pain or to gain possessions or popularity It's like having a $2 million cashier's check in your hand and you see a shiny piece of plastic jewelry and you swap, you know. Hold fast to your confession. You have an investment that's earned 20% for 10 years and it's got the sure prospect of doing that for 20 more years. Hold on to your investment, right? Hold on to this confession What you have in Christ Jesus, this access into the Father's presence. So, as you open yourself up to the word, hold fast your confession. And I'm going to drop back and say one more thing about the word that I uh, overlooked. Um, And it's taking responsibility for uh, your intake of God's word. And I had it sitting right here in front of me and then I ignored it. Zitz, uh, which is a 20-year-old comic, has uh, Jeremy as the main character, the teenager. So he's reaching into his pocket and he pulls out this crumpled piece of something and he goes, Ah! Like this, and red faced, he points like this to his mother and says, My driver's license was in the jeans you just washed. She walks away and says, Maybe you should have emptied the pockets before you put them in the laundry. And he's standing there looking at his crumpled thing, and last frame, he's talking to his friend Pierce. He says, My mom is starting to have trouble taking responsibility for my actions. <laughs> 
And then I love Pierce's response. It's probably an aging thing. <laughs> like, you know, losing the capacity to think right and uh, to walk or whatever, or to take responsibility for his actions. And so I just want to underscore that about his word. Take responsibility. No more whining, no more excuses, no more I don't have time. Give yourself to that word. So as you do that, as you give yourself to the word, as you open your life like a tree to God's word, hold fast your confession and rejoice in his sympathy. It's interesting how he puts it. We, don't, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. They tell us that's a life of tease, a certain way you say something. For instance, a guy puts a, a, a shot within six inches of the hole in golf, and you say, not a bad shot, right? Or you say, Dak Prescott is not a bad quarterback, so two negatives to, to emphasize how great he is. He is really able to sympathize. He is top-notch, highly capable in sympathy. And you think, how could it be that Jesus would put himself through all of this suffering to become what we need him to be? Amazing that he would go through all of this to prepare himself to meet our need when we are being tempted. This is God, you might say, achieving excellence in the salvation and sympathy area. And if you compare this to verse 13, which talks about that we're not hidden in the sight of God, you see the heart of God in knowing you. It's not so that he can say, aha, I see that sin. Now you're going to pay big time. That's the kind of God we invent. You know, God that's always looking to get us. But we see here, his knowledge of us is for the purpose of love. In his complete knowledge of us, he didn't draw back. He drew near to us. He entered into our situation so that he could fully help us when we're tempted. What a God. And sympathy here, this word uh, that, that he sympathizes with us, means to be compassionate to the point of helping. No matter the cost. It always includes active help. It's actually used later in chapter 10, verse 34, when it says, you had compassion on those who were in prison. It's the same word, sympathy. You had sympathy or compassion on those in prison and you accepted the plunder of your property. You see, they didn't just have compassion. Oh boy, I really feel for them. No, their compassion, their sympathy caused such action that they lost their property because of it. That's the kind of sympathy Jesus has for us. It means he's all in to help us. He's never the bystander who sees it and does nothing. He's the one right by the gurney going into the emergency room with blood on his clothes because he was helping right in the middle of things. 
That's who Jesus is. That's the sympathy that we have with Christ. And he's tempted in every respect. You have a struggle with prayer. You're tempted not to pray. You think Jesus wasn't tempted not to pray? He was. Or is it lust? Or is it anger? Or is it bitterness? Or is it fear? Whatever it is, you can come to him and say, Lord, I know in in some way you were tempted just like I'm being tempted. But it's really good to hear, yet without sin. You know, if if you're a drowning person, I love... uh, Jim Gallagher's statement of what was it like when y'all added your third child? He said, well, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. You know, so that's what it was like to add that child. But a drowning person is not going to help another drowning person. In fact, we know many times someone goes to help a drowning person. What happens? They end up drowning. Well, Jesus was a strong swimmer, Right. He is a strong swimmer. And even though we are exhausted, even though all of our limbs are burning, and even though we go under, he is there to hold us up because he is one without sin. He knows what it is to be in every swimming condition But he will swim with you and he will hold you up. So rejoice in his sympathy. Rejoice in his sympathy. And I want to apply this in a practical way. I know this is not specifically what he's talking about, but I think it's an important application for us. It's this in Ephesians 5. Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? So we're to imitate the love that Christ has for us. I think this passage is gold for men because it calls us to live in a sympathetic way with our wives. It's a great part of our love to our wives. Sympathizing with your wife in her weakness Drawing near to her and listening to her and entering into her fears and her struggles. And especially right at that point, accepting her and favoring her and smiling her and making her know your love in her struggles. That's what Christ does for us. And that's what we men must do for our wives and men in general for women. Also in Ephesians 5, Paul says Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Do you and I nourish and cherish our wives even in their weakness and failure? That's what Christ does for his people. That's what Christ does for you. And I think it's good at this point because it's also dealing with sympathy. It's 1 Peter 3 where he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
So know her. That's literally what it means, living with an understanding way. Know her. How does your particular wife need particular care? Know her. She's a weaker vessel physically, which means you protect her. You don't attack her. Not physically, not verbally, through anger, forceful words, or sarcasm, or even silence. He says, show her honor because she's a weaker vessel. Uh, She's not an everyday plate. She's the crystal vase that graces your front entrance table. Honor her, he says. She's a fellow heir with you of the gracious gift of life from God. She is a princess, an heir of the world. You and I don't know what we're messing with. (laughs) And he says that your prayers not be hindered. And guys, we have to ask this question. Do I want a relationship with God or not? Do I want a relationship with God or not? Because God's not going to be my pal as I ignore my wife. He's not. But how wonderful that Christ comes to us to strengthen us, encourage us, and be with us and embrace us as we begin to change. The way we look at our wives or talk or listen or respond And I would really love to go through every male here and name your names, beginning with me and my staff and my officers. Name every name. Single guys, even brothers with your sisters. And you're like, but my sister can beat me up. Yeah, okay. Don't beat him up, sisters. Give him a chance. All right. And remember this. Jesus said, as you love others and of all people, it will be your wives. As you love others, as he has loved you, your joy, you will know his joy and your joy will be full. So this is your joy as well as hers. You're living, you're doing it for her, but you're doing it for yourself as well. You will find life. As you give yourself away for her life. So. As you open yourself up to the word of God. Hold fast your confession. Rejoice in his sympathy. And of course live out that sympathy as well. Especially at home. And finally draw near to the throne of grace. Our final verse 16. Uh, It's in present tense. So let us. Be drawing near. Keep drawing near again and again. Jesus is in God's presence and he urges you and me to go in there with him. Take advantage of the access to God that he provides. Think of the contrast in this and Mount Sinai when God appeared to the people of God on Mount Sinai. The message was, don't even touch the edge of the mountain or you must be put to death. And if somebody touched the edge of the mountain, they said, don't touch them 
stone them or shoot them with an arrow from a distance. That's, that's how far away you had to stay, right? But here in Christ, not don't touch the edge, draw near, draw near. That's what Christ has accomplished for his people. The entrance into his presence is accomplished for you. It wasn't for Christ's sake. He was already in the presence of God. He came to earth to accomplish this death and resurrection so that you and I could come into the presence of God. All of this talk of his being in the presence is for you. It's for me to enjoy and delight in what he has accomplished for us. One man says, this is a revolution in the basic concept of religion. Only in Christ can sinful people have the boldness to present themselves before God. But we do. You think, wait, 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 wait. I'd, I'd, somebody that had an uh, inside take on your thoughts for the last few days, right? Anybody in here want to show those on the projector? Yeah, me either. Okay. And somebody that knows that and they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't go in the presence of God with all this. Oh, yeah, no, I can. Yes, I can. And I'm going boldly in the presence of God because of what Christ has done for me. And the devil knows how dangerous this is to his cause. He's called the accuser of our brothers in Revelation. When Jessica Harris had revealed on a piece of paper, I read her book just a week ago, revealed on a piece of paper to the dean of students and her RA, her struggle with pornography. These are the accusations that ran through her head. Good job, genius. Pack your bags. You're on your way home. Don't you remember? You can never be free. You're a freak. You're disgusting. You're mine. I know literally not his words, but those, that's what happened. And I want to ask you, how is the accuser trying to drive you away from the presence of God? With his crushing despair. What is he doing to you to keep you from thinking that you can go into the intimate presence of God and bear your heart and be accepted and be loved? You see, we've, we must have this place of forgiveness and relief and comfort and embrace. Because if you deny yourself this boldness, you cripple your walk with God. It's the favor of God alone that can support you and energize you and carry you through difficulty. Satan knows this and he wants to riddle you with despair and drive you away from the presence of God. If so, he can cut the nerve of your love and joy and strength in Christ. And so when an RA came to talk to Jessica... She said to her, she called her out into the hall and she said, what you wrote on that paper was brave. And Jessica writes, brave? 
That was not exactly the adjective I was anticipating. Disgusting, disgusting, unacceptable, gross, take your pick. Brave was not on the list. And I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, be brave to believe in the love that God has for you. Be brave to believe that love. Be brave to draw near to God through the access that Jesus has opened up for you. Be brave and bold to trust his goodness and his kindness in the face of Satan's accusations. Draw near. And the way the grammar reads, you will receive grace and mercy to help for the purpose or for the result of helping you. And it's timely help, literally. Help right when you need it, right where you need it. Constant, real help to enable you to live out the love of Christ. And finally, it is a throne of grace. It means sovereign grace, majestic, all-powerful, all-working grace, unlimited, unhindered grace. It's a throne. It cannot be stopped. And it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment for you in Christ. It's a throne of favor. It's not a throne of punishment. And for us, hear this, for us, grace is enthroned. Grace. Over every part of your life, grace. It governs everything in your life. That's why Paul can say, if God is for you, who is against you? Grace rules your life. That's why all things work together for good. To cause you to be more like Christ. Because grace, grace is enthroned for God's people. Let us pray. Oh Lord. Thank you for your mercy and grace in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for such a good confession of this Christ, this Son of God, for such sympathy and such grace and mercy to help us at every time. Oh, Lord, may we open our lives to you and may we embrace all that you have done for us in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.